This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Fans of the Phillies must be feeling like the Democrats right about now. They still could win the World Series, but it's increasingly unlikely. After the Houston Astros took that game last night 3-2, to two, uh, which meant they took two out of three in Philadelphia, one win away from the World Championship, and going back to Houston for the last two games. I'm not happy about this, but Houston is, based on the regular season, the better, deeper team with better pitching. Uh, nonetheless, the Astros just have to win one out of two in their home park. The Philadelphia team, of course, would have to win both games. Uh, actually, they probably have a better shot than the Democrats. Uh, hey, hope you have a good weekend coming up, and I hope you'll have a chance to see Media Buzz 11 a.m. Sunday morning on Fox. Uh, given the fact that we have just a few days now till the midterms, we're just making changes every hour, just the nature of the biz. At election time, Paul Pelosi released yesterday from the hospital, getting to go home after that horrible, just heartrending attack with a hammer, surgery for a fractured skull. A long recovery process remains, but he, it's good news, obviously, that uh, the House Speaker, not for long, uh, husband, and by the way, there's a lot of jockeying right now about who would replace Nancy Pelosi, who would probably step down when the GOP, or I should say, in the extremely likely event. I mean, I'm just going to say when, when the GOP wins the House next week. Um, so I'm glad that he is home. He's under doctor's care. Shepard Smith is out at CNBC. You know, Shep was an absolute icon at Fox News during all the years that he worked there. He's one of the originals. Uh, he had that great broadcast voice and that style, and he loved to do hurricanes. Uh, and as you may recall, he left three years ago. He was unhappy with certain things at Fox uh, and decided he was going to cut a deal with CNBC. It was always an odd fit because CNBC is a business channel. So they're covering business news all day long. And then he comes on 7 at night, Eastern, uh, with an hour-long broadcast. And while CNBC, you know, another thing that happened here is that the guy who hired him to do this, Mark Hoffman, left. And a new person came in, Casey Sullivan, who decided, well, we don't need this. And, and you know, it's understandable they're going to they're gonna replace Shep with an hour of business news, which is more in keeping with the brand. They've tried a lot of things uh, in the primetime hours, including Shark Tank and other stuff, and nothing's quite worked. And by the way, you know, I mean, they're praising Shep. They said he brought in the most uh, affluent audience of any cable network, but, you know, and he got the numbers up a bit, but I, he was never going to do huge ratings there. Um, and what happened also is that, you know, Shepard Smith was seen at the time that he left Fox as a guy 
who is willing to stand up to President Trump and, and do these fact checks and so forth. And I think once Donald Trump is out of office, maybe that was less compelling. And he's hardly the only guy. I mean, Greta Van Susteren went over after she left Fox to MSNBC. She lasted six months. Megyn Kelly, after she left Fox, went to NBC and the Today Show. Uh, she didn't last. So it can sometimes be difficult to make that transition. Jimmy Kimmel, you know, when all of the late night hosts, particularly Colbert, Kimmel, Seth Meyers, Samantha B no longer has a show, uh, and on and on, went totally to the left and anti-Trump, I said, look, they're, you know, this is not going to end well. They're alienating half their audience. Well, I guess in this era of extreme polarization, half the audience is better than no audience. But here's Jimmy Kimmel uh, on a podcast saying, uh, being asked, did ABC ever ask you to lay off a little bit on the attacks on Trump and Republicans and so forth? Uh, And what Kimmel said was, yeah, maybe about eight years ago or so. Uh, I get it. I don't disagree. I have lost half my fans. Maybe more than that, Kimmel said. Well, duh, of course you have. Because you chose to be so political, you know, I mean, Kimball's a funny guy, but so political that anybody who had, who either liked Donald Trump or considered themselves Republican, why would they want to watch your ABC show? So he said, you know, 10 years ago, I was the most popular talk show host among Republicans. Okay, but you made a deliberate choice. And he says, he said to ABC, you know, if what you want to do is not have me do this or get somebody else. I don't begrudge you for it, but I'm not going to do that. You want to get somebody else to host your show, that's fine. I'm just not going to do it like that, meaning a more balanced approach. They knew I was serious. I mean, I couldn't live with myself. And ABC went along. All right, you know who's back? Bibi. Bibi Netanyahu now will be, for the third time, the next prime minister of Israel. He's only been gone for a year. It seemed like two or three. I was sort of surprised to see that. He still has these sort of possible corruption charges, but he will, after his opponent conceded, put together a coalition. And it's going to be a different kind of coalition because in the past, you know, Bibi was able to govern with sort of the mainstream parties. But right now, He has to ally with far-right and ultra-Orthodox Jewish parties. uh, And that could mean a very different approach uh, to governing. Just to catch you up on Israeli politics, more to say on that as it unfolds. Hasn't quite sealed the deal yet, but uh, when your opponent concedes, uh, it's pretty... I'm not going out on a limb here, folks. All right, story number one. The midterm elections as I have been saying for weeks, are breaking the Republicans' way. Everybody knows this. You know it. I know it. The Dems know it. The Republicans know it. The media know it. The media aren't denying it anymore. Look at this headline. Today's paper, Washington Post. Democrats fear midterm drubbing as party leaders rush to defend blue seats. What I've been trying to say, and everybody's like, look at this poll and look at that poll. You know, the polls are all over the map. There are a lot of polls. Some of them are good polls. Some of them are partisan polls. 
And so in a lot of these, particularly in the Senate, these battleground states, you have polls showing Herschel Walker again ahead in Georgia. You have polls showing Raphael Warnock ahead in Georgia. So which do you believe? Well, what I've been saying is when you have the issue environment, I guess that's such a political consultant terms, the issue environment, when you have the stuff that people care about, which clearly is the economy, inflation, and crime, which all of which breaks in favor of the GOP, you can't expect, and especially with President Biden giving that speech on democracy the other night, which just was the wrong subject at the wrong time and too partisan, didn't move the needle at all, as I spent yesterday telling you, um, you have to assume that the people who, the shrinking number of people who haven't made up their minds, that a majority of them, at least the plurality of them, are going to break for the Republicans. In other words, all these races that seem so tight, and look, I, you know, I'm not a soothsayer here. It all depends on turnout. Maybe Democratic turnout in some of these states will be higher than I or anybody else expect. But we are seeing panic. The Democrats are no longer, and the media are no longer saying, well, you know, if you just do this and it doesn't rain that day, you know, maybe the Democrats will. No, the Democrats are panicking. They're trying to preserve, you know, when you have President Biden going to Illinois today, a blue state, um, when you have Hillary Clinton campaigning in New York, one of the bluest of blue states, for Governor Kathy Hochul, who seems now in actual danger of losing. He hasn't been a Republican governor of New York in, what, about 20 years? Since Pataki? To Congressman Lee Zeldin, with crime being the major issue there. You know, those are harbingers. Those are bellwethers. You know, if you can't hold New York, then how are you going to hold these tight races, these ultra-tight races in Arizona, in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, uh, and states like that? When you have a wave, I don't know how big the wave will be, but when you have a wave, what it means is races that one party ordinarily wouldn't win, they do win. When you had the 1980 wave, it carried a lot of Republicans into office when Ronald Reagan won the presidency. When you had waves in favor of the Democrats, 2008, Barack Obama, it carried a lot of Democrats into office. And that's especially true in midterms. And it basically seems like the voters have been taking turns kicking the bums out. You know, 2006, the Democrats take over while George W. Bush is president. And then 2010, the Republicans take first one house and then the other house while Barack Obama is president. And then 2018, the Democrats take over while Donald Trump is president. And now it's going the other way in 2022. So that Washington Post story, Democrats across the country scrambled to bolster candidates in places President Biden carried safely in 2020. The latest sign of panic that they could face major losses in next week's midterm elections. So the P word is actually in the lead of the story. There is panic. The Democrats are absolutely panicking because they know it's too late. They can't switch messages now. They should have pivoted to dealing with the stuff that people cared about. I think everybody recognizes this now a lot earlier. Yeah, talk about abortion rights. Yeah, talk about other stuff. Talk about, well, the Republicans don't have any plan. 
uh, talk about how you can now get insulin for $35. You know, that's all fine. But you can't just pretend that this gigantic elephant in the room, the gas prices, I know they've come down a bit lately, but they're still higher than they were. They've come down under, you know, Biden's strategic oil reserve releases. Uh, And crime in particular, yeah, we can debate about, well, there were mixed trends on crime. It doesn't matter. It's what people feel. If people are worried about crime, that informs their vote. If people are worried about the economy, where there does happen to be 3.5% unemployment, it's not a classic recession. There was actually growth this last quarter. It doesn't matter. If people are worried about losing their jobs, the party in power, remember, the Dems control everything right now. House, Senate, White House. You get the blame. That's how it works. Um, Oh, Kamala Harris also joining that rally for Kathy Hochul. I mean, at this point, (laughs) for all of his problems, I think Andrew Cuomo would be doing better in that New York gubernatorial race than the lieutenant governor who succeeded him. Um, Biden went to New Mexico and Southern California to support vulnerable Democrats. But, you know, when he goes to these places... I know he's going to have a couple of rallies in the next couple of days, one of them with Obama. But they're basically pooled events. You don't see him and the candidate, you know, raising their arms and a symbol of unity and all of that. More from the Post stories. Republicans have focused on inflation and crime to go on offense in Democratic territory, competing in uh, certain blue districts in California, Oregon, New York, Illinois, and elsewhere, there's a growing sense among Democrats there's little they can do at this point to combat the combined forces of history and economics. Yeah, I mean, just based on history, president's party loses seats in the first midterm. It happens almost every time. There are just a handful of exceptions in the modern era. Many Dems have been privately have privately believed for months that Republicans will likely to take the House. They are now expressing fears about whether the GOP will get a significant majority. So in other words, we're just debating the margin. That's all it is. Uh, this is interesting from the Washington Post. Um, Democrats right now have 220 seats in the House. They need 218 to remain control. One House Democratic strategist said if Democrats hold 200 to 205 seats, they will consider it a good night. In other words, they lose the House, but not by a landslide. If the party ends up with 190 seats or less, that would be a loss of 30 seats, which means that several Biden districts would flip, even though he carried them easily two years ago. That would reflect the big red wave. So (laughs) this is fascinating. I never cease to be amazed by how politicians can play the spin game. Uh, Biden allies are preparing to spin even a defeat as a win for the president since Obama lost 63 House seats in 2010 and Trump lost 40. So if you lose less, it's like, hey, we're beating the historical average. But as the story points out, um, Biden began with a much smaller majority than his predecessors. So he has fewer Democratic seats to lose just because he didn't carry that many Democrats to victory with him in 2020. Meanwhile, in Pennsylvania, Oprah Winfrey has endorsed John Fetterman. Fetterman's been trying to get this for months. 
she said, if I lived in Pennsylvania, I would already cast my vote for John Fetterman, uh, given Oprah's status among black voters. The Fetterman people are very happy about this, but it was also kind of a weird twist on it is, it's Oprah who made Dr. Oz famous by having him on her show. Before he even had the Dr. Oz show, he was, you know, talking about medicine and weight loss and stuff as a celebrity doctor on the Oprah show. But nevertheless, she broke with him. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. All right, number two. Donald Trump at a rally last night said that he is very, very, very probably going to have to do it again sending a pretty strong signal, and of course the crowd loved it, that he will launch, I guess what would be his third presidential campaign, uh, and pretty soon. Whether it will be pretty soon, I don't know. He seems to want to do that. Meanwhile, in other Trumpian news, the Justice Department has taken a former Trump advisor, Cash Patel, before a federal grand jury, under a grant of immunity. So basically, Cash Patel had been going around saying, yeah, you know, I totally support Donald Trump, and I was there because he's been close to him, you know, uh, in the post-presidency. And I saw him declassify these documents that he took to Mar-a-Lago. Okay. So DOJ didn't want to give this guy immunity, but basically he said, I'm going to plead the fifth and not testify. He had invoked his Fifth Amendment rights. So they cut a deal. Now he has immunity, which means presumably he has something of value in the eyes of DOJ. Um, Prosecutors wanted to ask him about a whole bunch of matters, but the chief among them is this, you know, at this point, unsubstantiated claim about Trump, you know, know, putting his hand over the documents or uh, just thinking it and declassifying these national security documents because... If he had done that, if it could be proven that he'd done that, then you don't have a case. It would be a much harder case for justice to prove if indeed Merrick Garland decides to bring an indictment, and I've never necessarily been convinced of that, that Trump took top-secret classified information to his personal residence when these are, and this part is not in dispute, the property of the government, classified or not classified, The National Archives owns these documents. You can look at them, but you can't leave the White House as president and take them with you. But that's, you know, that's going to be seen as jaywalking to his fans, to his supporters, I should say, uh, if it can't be proven that these were, in fact, these remain highly classified documents. All right, number three. Uh, This is a... Amazing story that if it was not a few days before the midterms, we'd be getting a whole lot more coverage. The New York Attorney General's office, that's Letitia James. Oh, by the way, Donald Trump is suing her uh, for going after him. It's kind of a countersuit because she um, brought this civil case that, among other things, would bar 
Trump from serving as an officer of any company in New York State for five years. Remember, this is a civil prosecution, civil lawsuit against the Trump organization. In any event, the AG's office put out this report about a cover-up at the highest levels of CBS. And this involves Les Moonves, who I talked about yesterday. And I thought that'd be the end of the story. You know, he's going to pay two and a half million. The combined amount that CBS and Moonves have to pay to settle this case is about $30 million because it's a shareholder lawsuit. Shareholders, you know, uh, are entitled to this money because of what happened. But this is just eye-popping. I'm not overselling it, folks. So five years ago, a captain at the LAPD tipped off CBS executives. This is outrageous. That a woman had come to the Hollywood station of the police department to report that Moonves had allegedly assaulted her in the 1980s. Quote, Somebody walked into the station a couple hours ago, made allegations against your boss regarding a sexual assault, the police captain said, since 2017, in a voicemail left for a CBS exec. It's confidential, as you know, but call me. So this LAPD captain secretly provided Moonves and CBS with status updates on his own police department's investigation of this allegation by the woman and even slipped CBS a copy of the accuser's report. And top CBS executives then began investigating the victim's personal circumstances and that of her family. Think about this. This woman comes forward, and she trusts the police, and she wants an investigation of what she says happened to her. And meanwhile, the police, uh, in the person of this one officer, are leaking this stuff to the guy and his company against whom she's making these allegations, and they can then use that to look into her personal life. This is off the wall, and that's not all there is. This particular captain had become friendly with Moonves when he was on the security detail for CBS's hosting of the Grammy Awards for several years. Okay. Um, One text message from Moonves to the captain. Hopefully we can kill media from PD, police department. Then figure what the woman wants. Eight months goes by before the public becomes aware of the sexual misconduct allegations against Les Moonves. Uh, The AG says CBS and senior leadership knew about multiple allegations of sexual assault made against Moonves and intentionally concealed those allegations from regulators, shareholders, and the public for months. Now, The current L.A. police chief told the L.A. Times uh, that his department only recently became aware of these allegations involving this ranking officer, who was identified as Commander Corey Palka, who has since retired, captain of the Hollywood station. Uh, The police chief, Michael Moore, said what is most appalling is the alleged breach of trust of a victim of sexual assault who is among the most vulnerable by a member of the LAPD. This erodes public trust and is not reflective of our values as an organization. Okay, there's more. The New York AG's report says that Gil Schwartz, who was the communications chief for CBS for years and years and years, a guy I dealt with many, many, many times, 
who has since died, sold more than 160,000 shares of CBS stock in 2018 as the company was trying to contain explosive allegations. And he made almost $9 million, knowing that the value of the stock would go down when this inside information came out. That's really bad. Moonves allegedly misled investors about the scope of the sexual harassment allegations. So he will be barred from serving as an executive or corporate officer of any company in New York for five years. Now, the LA Times did report several years ago on the allegations of this accuser. Her name is Phyllis Golden Gottlieb. She's since died. But at the time of that Los Angeles Times report, we found out that she'd worked with Moonves back in the 1980s uh, at a production studio in California. And she told the LA Times that in a parking lot outside a restaurant, essentially Moonves grabbed her and forced her to have oral sex. Along comes the New Yorker magazine in 2018, Ronan Farrow detailing allegations of six women who alleged that Moonves assaulted or harassed them. That was what prompted, because they couldn't sweep it under the rug anymore, CBS to hire these two law firms to investigate Moonves, and then it was in September of 2018 that the board at CBS fired Les Moonves. What happens? The LAPD captain sends an email saying, I'm so sorry to hear this news. Sickens me. We worked so hard to try to avoid this day. No care at all, no concern whatsoever for the women who say they were sexually assaulted or sexually harassed by the head of CBS. And then he sent a note to Moonves, the same captain. Deeply sorry this has happened. I will always stand with, by, and pledge my allegiance to you. You've shown the highest character through all this. What? No, he's shown the lowest character possible. And you have no character for being part of this cover-up and violating the rights, really, and the expectation of support from the police department of the women, and particularly this one woman, who made these complaints. All right, let's move on to number four. Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets. So I talked about this at some length yesterday. Remember, uh, he posted all this anti-Semitic stuff because he endorsed this movie that is just blatantly, blatantly anti-Semitic. This is not subtle, folks. This is pure anti-Semitic hatred. But there were these negotiations with the NBA and the Anti-Defamation League. And finally, uh, the ADL said it was satisfied because Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets... um, put out this statement. You could tell it was sort of carefully negotiated lawyer's language. I take responsibility for what I wrote and I never meant to harm anybody and blah, blah, blah. Uh, And agreed to pay, you know, it's almost like payoff money, $500,000 to a cause to combat hate speech in order to show his penance but what Kyrie Irving didn't do was apologize. Kind of, sort of implied regret, but didn't apologize. So yesterday, the Brooklyn Nets, and a lot of people thought this should have happened much earlier, suspended Kyrie Irving indefinitely, calling him unfit to be associated with the NBA team because he's refused to say 
that he has no anti-Semitic views. In that week, since he posted the link on Twitter to this film, which just, you know, absolutely horrifying. I mean, Holocaust-denying garbage uh, stuff about the Jewish people, about the Jewish people, excuse me. So the net saying in a statement, such failure to disavow anti-Semitism when given a clear opportunity to do so is deeply disturbing, is against the values of our organization, and constitutes conduct detrimental to the team. All he had to do was say he was sorry he wouldn't do it. So now he's suspended. Well, now that he's suspended, Kyrie Irving uh, gave in and he posted this on Instagram. To all Jewish families and communities that are hurt and affected from my post, I am deeply sorry to have caused you pain and I apologize. Why couldn't he have said that before? Why? Because he doesn't really believe it. Because he was forced by his employer to say this. Even after all these extensive negotiations with the ADL, he couldn't bring himself to apologize. Team suspends him. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure he's very sorry. Um, so before he was suspended, he was saying things like, well, I didn't mean to cause any harm. I'm not the one who made the documentary. Uh, some comments in there were unfortunate. I'm just weasel words, really. So the Nets say that he'll be suspended for at least five games, and then he has to sort of do a series of things to show that he really is sorry uh, until he satisfies a series of objective remedial measures addressing the harmful nature of his conduct. So Kyrie Irving belatedly sidelined by the Brooklyn Nets franchise. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. And finally, number five, Elon Musk. The layoffs, which have been signaled for some time now, are just getting underway today. You know, Twitter has 7,500 employees. And a little over a week after taking over the social media site, the layoffs begin today. It's estimated that about half of those 7,500 people will be gone. So how is Elon doing it? Well, Twitter employees were notified in the email that layoffs are set to begin. New York Times saw a message of that, a copy of that message. All workers were instructed to go home, don't come to work today, as the cuts proceeded. Didn't detail the number. In an effort to place Twitter on a healthy path, we will go through the difficult process of reducing our global workforce. We recognize that this will impact a number of individuals who have made valuable contributions to Twitter, but this action is unfortunately necessary to ensure the company's success moving forward. Um, the Times confirms about half the workers will lose their jobs. I don't understand quite how Twitter will function with half the workforce. Although, you know, this is interesting. Uh, under the old Twitter's rules, Twitter gets, uh, a Twitter employee got days of rest, monthly days off so employees can recharge. Well, that's now toast. Uh, you know, it must have been nice to work there. Okay. Now, meanwhile, Elon Musk is doing all kinds of things to figure out how to make some money because Twitter has taken on $13 billion in debt. So he can't even afford to pay the entire staff. Um, this was always going to be a problem. So the latest thing is, um, if you, you know, one of these Twitter blue people and you pay the eight bucks a month or whatever, 
for an additional nominal fee. And if you act right now, you could send a direct message to high-profile users, which means you could send a DM, which you ordinarily can't do if somebody doesn't follow you, I guess, uh, to a celebrity. You could send it to Kim Kardashian. You could send it to, you know, hotshot media people. You could send it to politicos. Um, And these celebs or high-profile users... I wonder if Musk would be in this category. He's got 110 million followers. Um, They have to agree in advance to accept such messages. Then they get paid, and Twitter takes a cut. I don't know. Could that have a lot of appeal? Would that make some money? Would enough celebs agree to do this? So there's all kinds of stuff. I've talked before. Paywalled video, which means that unless you pay $1 or $2 or $5 or $10, you can't view certain videos, certain long-form videos, that, again, probably the most prominent tweeters put up. And Twitter wants to bring back, or Musk wants to bring back Vine. Vine was a fad. I mean, this is more than 10 years ago, where you could make six-second videos. Just, uh, hi, you just like whatever you want to say. It's like one sentence. I don't think anybody's dying to see Vine now. I mean, it was at a much earlier stage before everybody had video online. I don't know, maybe I'm underestimating it. I did it for a while, just for the hell of it. But <laughs> let's just say you have to talk fast. So um, so it seems like Elon Musk is throwing a lot of spaghetti against the wall. Okay, eight bucks a month, you get this. You can watch video. You can send messages to celebrities, uh, paywall video. Anything to try to generate some revenue streams. And... He didn't really have any choice. I mean, it's not that he ever expected to make any money from Twitter, but, you know, he has paid $44 billion. He greatly overpaid for this. And now he's pretty desperate to make some money. So, you know, look, a lot of companies get taken over. They lay off tens of thousands of people. It doesn't get this kind of coverage. Why? Because it's Elon Musk and because uh, so many people in this sort of media political sphere are very invested in Twitter um, because they use it to promote themselves, their product, their company. Uh, you know, if there are layoffs at General Motors, it's too bad, but like it just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't get the same coverage. It's a one-day story. This is going to go on. And I also wonder whether Twitter will be stuck with the least talented employees or what about the people who know how to deal with content moderation or the engineering problems? Uh, this story is far from over. With that, Always appreciate your joining these conversations. Uh, hope you have a good weekend coming up. As I said at the top, Media Buzz coming up Sunday morning. I got to get to work on that right now. Hope you'll subscribe. Apple iTunes is one place you can do that. See you back here Monday with more Buzz Media. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.